0: I asked that this this morning, yeah, my son. I said, are you like Mr. Hasseltine? Are you like Mr. Hasseltine? We'll come to that later. But what do you do? What do you do if a colleague mocks the receptionist at work? Uh, they've just mentioned that they're a Christian. Oh, you've overheard. What do you do at that point? What do you do when the Christian faith is being ridiculed? Uh, but in the mainstream media, and your friends are just, you know, they're laughing about it. Who do you stand with at that point? Who do you line up with? What do you say? You know, who do you line yourself up with Jesus and his followers, whatever their kind of social and professional standing? Or do you line up with everyone else? Too frightened to speak and stand with Jesus and his people? What do you do? Now you see, as we're looking through Matthew 10, what Jesus' disciples do is being kind of the centre of this whole chapter, the main focus, and we've been paddling through it haven't we, over the last few weeks. Do you remember how it began? Just turn your eyes back to chapter 10 verse 1, you'll see there, Jesus begins by sending his disciples out, they're given authority to do stuff, to proclaim the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that's what the gospel means, the good news about Jesus, that he is king of God's good eternal kingdom. Now, that, that is a truth that they are proclaiming, but it's a truth that Jesus has both evidenced and proclaimed himself in the previous chapters throughout Matthew's Gospel. And how has he evidenced it? He's evidenced it through his teaching, but also through his miraculous uh, doings uh, throughout these um, few chapters. So the disciples go. In chapter 10, they go out. And, and we see some of it. Let me just cast our eyes back to chapter 10, verse 21. You'll see they go with the right expectations. They know as disciples of Jesus that they're going to be hated, that they're going to be persecuted. It's going to be tough. And they go with the understanding that their experience will be the same as that of Jesus. As they say in verse 24, a servant is not above his master. They understand what's going to happen. And they go expecting, again, it's going to be very, very tough on them. But they're encouraged to go, not fearing others, as we saw, but rather in, in, in reverent awe and reverent fear of God. God who cares for them, and God who will eternally love them. Now, you see, the main emphasis up to this point has been about Jesus speaking to his disciples, yeah? And his, his authorized ones, if you like. Now, that doesn't mean we can't, you know, apply what we've learned in the early part of chapter 10. But it it is one step removed. Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples there. But interesting, look at verse 32. As Ash pointed out last week, the language broadens, doesn't it? Now, who comes into focus? Anyone, whoever acknowledges me before others, Jesus says. Jesus is now speaking more directly to anyone who acknowledges him who follows him. And what did he say? Well, if you were here last week, or if you listened to, you know, kind of online, you will realise what Jesus said from that point on was really hard, wasn't it, to hear? You know, the poorly stereotyped Jesus of nativity fame that we're seeing kind of dragged out in all of the supermarkets right now and various other places on TV. You know the one, the meek and the mild one? Well, as we saw last week, he's somewhat been replaced, hasn't he, by the family-dividing apparent renegade, as we see in those verses. It was hard to hear. And in some ways, we understand what being a disciple of Jesus looks like. You know, we we know it's going to be hard. We expect a bit of persecution. You go to the office and if you dare to speak about Jesus, you kind of expect a little bit of mockery, don't you? You know what it's going to be like in this kind of post-Christian secular culture in which we live. We expect to suffer as Jesus suffered. Now we expect that toughness, but did we really expect Jesus to step right into the heart of the institution and the securities that we cling to probably more than anything else? Jesus made it clear, didn't he, last week. You have to have him as your first love. To have him as your first loyalty. And as we heard last week, what does that lead to? Well, it will lead to a change in family relations. I asked the boys last lunchtime. As we do often, we come back from church and, and we sit down for lunch. And uh, I say, yeah, what did you learn? In, what did you learn on church? and And... and No words came out of one of my son's mouths. He just simply went, (laughs) like this, all over the dining room table. Mind blown. Mind blown down this way. It was hard. It was hard to hear what we saw last week. But the point remains. When we follow Jesus, we must put him first. Our loyalty to him must be beyond all other loyalties in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not to love our families, to, uh, to, to care for our families. Christians ought to be the best spouses. We ought to be the best you know, people within our kind of wider family network, the most loving, the most caring, and so on. But the challenge came, put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. Let me put that into a scenario if I can. What if, what if? What if one of the children here at Christ at yeah, they ate all their exams. They go to one of the best universities. Um, they get a first from that university. They go on to a postgraduate. Of course they do. And then they get probably to a post, post-postgraduate. And they do everything so well. It's amazing. And then they, they, they ring back. They, they, they kind of call back. And they, they, they say to you, and all of us hear this, they say, look, I, I'm thinking, I have got stuck into this church. and I'd really like to do an apprenticeship at this church. I'm thinking about full-time ministry in the church. I wonder how you respond I know children who've been isolated from their families, even so-called Christian families, for saying, "I'm going to go and do an apprenticeship after my university years." I actually know one guy who's been cut out of his inheritance because he now works for a church. And the the, the line that comes so often is something like, "Oh, it's such a waste! Such a waste!" Just, just telling people about Jesus. Yeah, it's such a waste. When I mean, you've done all this training and you're so able and so capable, you could earn so much. Do you see the potential in yourself? Look what we've invested in you. What a waste. Oh, the harvest is pensible, the workers are few, we saw in chapter 9, but not you. Not you. We've brought you up, we've invested in your education. Not to tell people about Jesus. Full time. It doesn't just happen to those working in churches, does it? What if a friend is uh, earning really well and uses much of their money to support gospel ministry? What do you say? What do you think of that person? You see your priorities? The use of our money, the use of our time, everything gets challenged to what Jesus said last week. Why? Because you've got a different first love. You've got a different first loyalty. It's Jesus now. And yes, it can actually lead to families dividing because of different loyalties and loves. And it's painful. Jesus never says that, that we're going to gonna fracture families needlessly. But in following him, in making him first love, first loyalty, it will divide. It will. Jesus was eerily clear, wasn't he? If we do not love him, look at verse 38, more than anything else. Look, he says we're not worthy. Not worthy. Whoever puts family, money, uh, even spouse and children before Jesus, Jesus says you're not worthy. Whoever does not submit their longings under their longing to be a follower of Jesus Christ, whether that is to be wealthy or whether that's to be married, to have children, to travel, whatever that longing is, if you're not willing to submit that longing underneath You're longing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus says you're not worthy. You're not worthy of a life that the King of eternal life offers for those who follow him. But what if, but what if, what if you struggle to live that life that is worthy of Jesus, who has saved you for heaven? What if you do, as we saw last week, you know, take up your cross and you follow him? What if, despite all the cost, despite all the division, despite all the pain that of uh, li- living for the Lord Jesus, what if, and what does that result in? What does that look like for you? Well, that brings us to this wonderful, short little passage of, uh, today. And the language, again, is very broad, isn't it? Look at verse 40. Why don't you just cast your eyes down you'll see. Anyone, again, it's very broad. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. Anyone who welcomes you, the disciples, welcomes me, the Lord Jesus. Or as I put in your outline, you'll see it's on the first point there. Jesus is spelling out what it means for anyone who essentially lines up with Jesus. Who stands with Jesus? Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. See, Jesus is saying here is that if you welcome someone who proclaims what did the disciples are doing, they were proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the King. Anyone who welcomes someone who proclaims that Jesus is the King of God's good eternal kingdom, if you welcome them, Jesus says, You welcome me. It doesn't have a hair though, does it? Receiving or welcoming the message of Jesus from a messenger of Jesus was also a huge blessing. Because look at it, if you welcome the message of Jesus, you welcome Jesus himself, but also in doing that, you're welcoming the one who sent Jesus, namely the Father. Let's think about what welcoming looks like, though. It's interesting around kind of Christmas time, isn't it? So we do a lot of that kind of welcoming. The term, of course, doesn't it imply that kind of in that passive acknowledge, acknowledgement of someone's existence I don't know if you do you have anyone in your family are you going to see at Christmas you know you'll go away some of you I'm, I'm sure and you'll, you'll see family members and you're thinking about them probably now the, the family member who you're slightly worried about going to see they just wind you up a little bit you know them some of you are because you're grinning you know that person you, you probably don't you, know, you, you see them And you do the proper British thing, you're very polite to them, you do the civil thing, you smile, you buy them a present. But just that kind of tacit acknowledgement, that's not welcoming, is it? You know that. Welcoming is so much more, isn't it? You welcome someone into your home with with a warmth, uh, with a delight, in that they're here. When you welcome someone, you're bringing them into your life, into your heart. Welcoming implies this complete and positive reception of them. And likewise, as we welcome the message of Jesus, here through his disciples, but for us through through the word of God, the, the Bible, as we welcome that message, we welcome Jesus, the author of that message. And we welcome the one who sent Jesus, namely his father. What does that look like for you and I? I wonder how you approach the Bible as you, How do you welcome the message of Jesus in, into your life? How do you approach the Bible? Do you, do you, you know when you go to the cinema and you get these wonderful kind of stands of pick-and-mix sweets? You know, there's ones, some of you know, quite enjoy those things. In there. And, and there they are, there are lots of different kinds of sweets available. Do you approach the Bible like you do that? You know, you look and you get jelly beans, yes, thank you very much. Yeah, a few marshmallows, I'll have those, put them in your bag. Oh, you get a few of the kind of fizzy sweets, you know, those fizzy but, you know, you put those in just to spice things up a little bit you know, halfway through the uh, the cinema trip. But then you look and you go, "Licorice, no, thank you." Uh, licorice is just like uh, the most awful sweet known to man, isn't it? it? Let's not go there. Okay, for Ash, maybe not. But you know, for most of the majority of the population, we all agree that licorice is utterly awful. As we go, no, thank you. We're not having that in the bag. What if you approached the Bible in that way? You know. You look at Jesus and you go, oh, I, I like that bit of teaching. Bit of jelly bean, thank you very much. Sweet, it's not so bit of marshmallowy teaching, soft and gentle, makes me feel warm inside. I, I like that. But none of that kind of licoricey teaching. Oh no, let's keep away from that. Do you approach the Bible in that way? The choices start, you see, either you welcome the message of Christ and welcome Jesus, or you do not welcome. Either you welcome the message of Christ, proclaimed, and therefore welcome Jesus and know the blessing of welcoming God into your life, or you hold the message of Christ at arm's length, ignoring the licorice difficult bits, if you like, that rub against your desires and your longings. It's either welcome or ignore. If you choose to ignore the message of Jesus, proclaimed by a messenger of Jesus, or, oh, as we have it in, in God's word here, then think what you're doing. Yes, you're ignoring Jesus, but you're also ignoring the one who sent Jesus. Essentially, you're saying, No, thank you, God. No, thank you. Now, as a result in your unwillingness to line up with Christ and those who proclaim the message of Christ, you're missing out. Let me tell you, you are missing out on so much. You're missing out on so much joy and blessing because you're kicking out against God. You're saying, I don't want you, thank you very much. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Have a look down at verse 41. You'll see that the welcoming now continues, doesn't it? Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a, as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Let's think about what, that, what those kind of groups are, are, are talking about there. You, know, you get the prophets to begin with. Prophets, as so they went from town to town, they were often rejected people. They were often driven out of towns as they spoke the message of God. And Jesus says here, like with the disciples, whoever welcomes the message must receive that man that speaks the message as well. You must line yourself up with them. Receive a prophet as a prophet. Likewise, receive and welcome a righteous person as a righteous person. That is, you are to stand, you are to line up with someone who walks in the ways of God. That they are worthy of Jesus. Again, why don't you think about your friend? You think about your colleague who's a Christian. Now, they might not approach everything. They might not think in the same ways exactly as you do about a number of things. But you think about that colleague. They're trying to live out their faith. And other colleagues and friends are now mocking them. Who do you stand with? Who are you going to stand with? Who do you welcome? Who do you line up with? Oh, the breadth of verse 42, look at that. It leaves us kind of no wiggle room, does it? Uh, look at verse 42. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So we've gone from verse 40, we've got from of the disciples uh, to be welcomed and the message they proclaim. Then the prophets and the righteous people, we're, we're to line up with them. And now verse 42, the people in mind here are simply these little ones, he says. Now I don't think... Uh, Jesus is referring to those who are vertically challenged in any way. And I don't actually think that the children are specifically in view here, though he does use that phrase elsewhere in this Gospel to refer to children. I think rather given the context, what he's saying is he's thinking of little ones, that is, those who are not in positions of power, important people. Jesus is speaking about regular followers of him. Not the big cheeses in the church. Just you and I. Oh, the cup of cold water thing is it? an interesting one. Let's just have a look at that. Now, giving a cup of cold water in that kind of a, a culture was considered the most basic, uh, the, the most essential courtesy as someone entered your house. You've got a dusty, arid, very hot climate. Uh, and therefore, to offer them a cup of cold water was just a, yeah, refreshment, clearing out you know, the kind of their throat and so on. It's an essential common courtesy. And it would be incredibly rude if you didn't offer that. And once again, it's a, the point being made is a, who are you lining up with? Are you lining up with Jesus and, and his word delivered by his people, his little ones here, just the regular followers here? The cold, the cold water, however small, it's a welcoming of that person and what they proclaim. You're lining up with them and with Christ. I wonder who you line up with. I wonder who you're most loyal, loyal to. You see, in some countries, if you were to apply for a job and you get to the application form and it says, you know, your kind of religion, if you tick Christian, you're not going to get the job. Certainly not a well-paid job. Who'd you line up with? In some countries, if you dare to say that you're a Christian. You'll be locked up in jail. If you own a Bible, you're probably locked up in jail. If uh, you dare to go to a church, whether that's an underground church or not, you'd be locked up in jail. And in many countries, you'd even be killed. I wonder who you line up with. Over drinks with friends, they begin to mock the Christian uh, faith or some teaching of the Christian faith. I, I wonder who do you line up with at that point? I saw a little clip that was going on Facebook the other day um, of Philip Schofield and Holly whatever her name is uh, on that mid-morning ITV rubbishy program. Um, and there they were with a Christian on the sofa with them and they would ask the Christian what they thought about a particular issue. And the language used from those two presenters uh, they just simply said you are abhorrent and medieval. Can you imagine if you said that back to them because of what they thought? I wonder who you line up with—the really, really popular, you know, millions of followers on social media. You know, fun, lovely people seems. Do you line up with them or do you line up with that poor guy who's just been absolutely ripped apart because of his Christian faith? Or the low-paid employee at work who you hardly take any notice of. They're being ridiculed by your boss. The boss who's got in his hands the ability to promote you or give you the extra bonus in the next few months. And you know that's on the horizon. Who do you line up Anyone who lines up with Christ, that is, anyone who welcomes the messenger of the, the messenger of the gospel, even a little one, as we see here, they're welcoming Christ and the one who sent Christ, where there is blessing, Which is reward. Let's look at that second point here. <coughs> anyone who see Anyone lines up with Christ, second point will receive their reward. You see that in verse 41, don't you? Uh, there's a the reward there in verse 41. See, if a prophet went into a town, there would be an appropriate reward, if you like, for their teaching—some uh, kind of remuneration. They get some cash probably at that point, or some—you know—be put up in a house, or give them some food, and so on. If Jesus is promising cash for standing with him uh, and teaching his word, some of us might be doing quite well, might we? Is he though? Is your bank balance going to bloom if you sort of line up with Jesus? Well, I don't think so. Here. See, the term reward is littered throughout uh, much of Jesus' teaching. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Or, great is your reward, that the language there is, of, of God's kingdom, within God's kingdom. You see, the continued teaching of Jesus is that our right response to his word, and the messengers of his word, uh, our faithfulness to him, will be justly and proportionately rewarded. Now that occurs, we must get this right, both now, as we know such joy and fellowship with God, but also in our future eternal glory that awaits. There is reward now. We've got to be careful about this, but there is reward now. For welcoming the messenger of Christ, that is proclaiming the message of Christ. Because we are welcoming God into our lives. There's such joy, there's such blessing, such fellowship that we can know with God now, which is reward, reward, reward. Yes, there's there's so much more to come, of course there is, but let's not underestimate what we can know and and know is blessing and reward right now. And whatever you do, however small it may seem, you will never lose that reward. Of knowing god for eternity as we see in verse 42 it won't be lost you see if if as christians we we ignore the blessings and reward that we can know today of intimate fellowship and relationship with god and being welcomed by god if we just chop out matthew 10 verse 40 to 42 and just think about being as a follower of jesus as all the preceding verses that is of taking up cross persecution hardship and so all those kind of things then life is going to be a huge struggle isn't it yes following christ is hard yes we must have right expectations about how tough being a christian really is but we must also have right expectations about what can be so joyful and positive now with intimate fellowship and relationship with god that is such blessing it's such reward we must not miss out. If we welcome the message of Christ and we welcome Christ and we welcome God into our lives, and that is such joy, such blessing. Now, of course, it's, it's just a little foretaste. It's a foretaste of the amazing, eternal reward to come when Jesus, the King of God's good, of King, God's good kingdom, comes and gathers us and takes us home. But don't miss out now. What about tomorrow then? I wonder who you're going to stand with. Who you're going to line up with at work. If you choose to not line up with Christ and his little ones who proclaim the gospel. If you choose to not line up with Christ. Oh there may be reward. Let's be clear about that. The reward of a promotion might come your way. If you dare not stand with that colleague who's being mocked. Oh there may be reward in keeping within a set of friends because... You know, you don't want to ruffle them. You don't want to cause any hassle. So you don't say anything. You don't stand up for Christ, even though they're mocking and ridiculing him. Oh, there'll be a reward because you'll keep those bunch of friends. But will it last? And will it satisfy? If we uh, dare to welcome the message of Christ into our lives, you will welcome Jesus, you will welcome God, and the reward is there. It is a life now, a joyful life, full of purpose. It will be tough, yes, of course, at times, as you proclaim the message that Jesus is king, but that taking up your cross and following Jesus will be just for a moment in comparison to the eternity that awaits. Anyone who lines up with Christ will receive their reward. I'm going to finish with this. I thought this would be a good way to finish. I'm getting cold, what about you? But let's let's close with this. Adniron Judson uh, was the first missionary to leave the shores of uh, the United States of America. They'd had many missionaries so far. They'd gone to the native Indians of America. um, But he was the first missionary to leave the shores of America. He left in the early 1800s and he travelled first to India and then on to Burma. Uh, He left with his first wife, who was pregnant at the time, and their first baby died en route and was thrown overboard somewhere in the Indian Ocean. A few years later, his wife died. Uh, Justin came back to America on furlough, uh, or kind of leave uh, about 10 years later, had endured a great deal and been very ill during that time. He needed rest. And in that time, he fell in love with a girl called Anne Hasseltine. Judson, a man who was taking a message of Christ to a hostile country around the world, wrote to Anne's father just before he was leaving for Burma to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. And this is what he wrote. This is pretty much all we have left of Judson's stuff. He was a depressive and basically burnt most of his works. And all we have left is just a few letters. He wrote this. To Mr. Hasseltine, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her saviour from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Mr. Hasseltine received that letter and later that spring, he stood with his daughter and gave her hand in marriage to Adoniram Judson. And he never, ever saw her again in this life. I wonder, what if that letter was addressed to you? About your daughter? Or someone you love and cherish? Would you like Mr. Hasseltine to give your daughter away on that wedding day? Tears in your eyes because you will likely never see her again. And he did not. But amidst those tears, you're filled with joy because you welcome Christ. You've lined yourself up with Christ and you've been willing to make the message of Christ known. <coughs> Holy Father, these are thrilling words in, in that we know as we welcome you, as we welcome the message of the gospel. Lord, we will receive a reward now and one that goes into eternity. I pray that we would be those tomorrow at work, tomorrow at the school gate, tomorrow wherever we are, who is willing to line ourselves up with Christ and his little ones. I pray it's in his name. Amen.